Amen. It's so good to see everybody this morning. Good things happen at church on Sundays. I think about one Sunday morning, a teacher was in the kids' church trying to illustrate the Eighth Commandment to her class. So she, she sat down all the kids and she said, now kids, uh, I, I want you to learn what the Eighth Commandment is. Anybody know the Eighth Commandment? Thou shalt not steal. She said, I want you all to learn the Eighth Commandment. So let me give you an illustration, okay? If I go and, and take a man's wallet and I take all the money out of that wallet, what does that make me? What little boy said it? It makes you his wife. <laughs> uh, we're in a series called I Love Church. And each week we're looking at different aspects of this thing we call church. Week one, we talked about hypocrites. We talked about run-ins with the hypocrites at church. So we've all, listen, the, the bottom line is that we all have to deal with hypocrites. But don't let the hypocrites keep you from Jesus. Right? I don't let hypocrites keep me from going to church. Listen, I, I don't quit going to a gym just because there's fat people in there. <laughs> They're the ones that need to be in the gym. If there's messed up people in church, guess what? They need to be in church. But I'm not, I'm not going to let them keep me from Jesus. Amen? And then last week we talked about organized religion. <laughs> Talked about how God himself is organized. We see in creation that he's organized. We see in the Bible when the ministry of Jesus and in the early church how organized God is. And we talked about how we can do exponentially more to help people when we work together. Somebody say church is a good thing. All right, now you said it, but how many of you really believe it? Y'all believe it? I do too. I believe church is a good thing because it's a God thing. And in the Bible, when we, when we see the word church, it's really, it's all talking about the same thing, but there's two different levels of this, okay? Uh, and most often, church is referring to all believers, okay? Jesus said in Matthew 16, upon this rock, I will build my church, not churches, not local churches, the church, the body of Christ, church with a capital C, said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You ever, you ever realize that that verse is an, is an offensive verse where the church is on the attack, not playing defense? Because I don't know about you, but I, I, I've never seen or read about an ancient battle where the gates of a city come and attack an invading force, right? No, it's always the other way around. It's the invading force storms the gates. And Jesus is saying that I'm establishing the kind of church that is storming the gates of hell. And the gates of hell will not prevail. Uh, church, we ought to be going into the devil's territory. We ought to be so bold in loving people, in preaching the gospel, in sharing the truth of God with love, that when we wake up in the morning, the devil's popping pills. Oh, God, she's awake. He's awake. Oh, no. Come on. We ought to be so radical every day. We're storming the gates of hell. That, that was a free bonus. I won't charge you anything for that. But the church is talking about the universal body of Christ, the entire body of Christ. But there are times when the Bible specifically talks about the local church, church with a lowercase c, Right? There's only one body of Christ, but within the one big church, there are many, many, many local churches. 
We saw this in our scripture last Sunday, 1 Corinthians 14, 33. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. One big church, bunch of little churches, right? Y'all with me so far? So everybody who's in the big church ought to belong to a local church, right? Ephesians 2.19 says this in the Living Bible. Now you are no longer strangers to God and foreigners to heaven, but you are members of God's very own family, citizens of God's country, and you belong in God's household with every other Christian. I love that. This is wonderful. We're no longer strangers to God and foreigners to heaven. We're now strangers to this world and foreigners on this earth. We're all illegal aliens in the devil's territory, church. Why? Because our citizenship is now in heaven. We're members of God's very own family, citizens of God's country, and we belong in God's household with every, every other Christian. We're a family, and we belong together. Hebrews 10.25 says this, Let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. The closer we get to the second coming of Christ, the more it matters that we come together. I want you to think about this worldwide, globally. People are attending church more than they ever have before. Listen to this. In Iran, where you can be beheaded for converting to Christianity, there is a massive revival right now. The world's fastest growing church is in Iran, in a nation where it is illegal and punishable by death to be a Christian, but the church is exploding over there. In China, where you can be sent to a labor camp for practicing faith in Jesus Christ. There are more Christians gathering today in China than there are people in the United States. Think about that. There is an incredible move of God all over the world. Today in East Africa, there are families walking four and five hours just to gather and go to church. People are going to church more than they've ever gone before, except here in the United States. The opposite is true. Studies have shown that people are attending church Half as much as they did just 20 years ago. According to researcher David Olson, the number of Americans who go to church every week is down to 20%. No wonder the moral fabric of our nation is crumbling. I think we got a church problem, y'all. And the church isn't the problem. It's the fact that we're not going to church. We're not listening to the word of God. We're not growing in our faith in Christ. I heard a story about a pastor who was standing at the door shaking hands with the congregation at their Easter service, and he saw a young man that he hadn't seen in several months, and he said, he said, young man, I think it's time for you to join the army of the Lord. He said, preacher, I, I, I am in the army of the Lord. He said, well, why haven't I seen you since Christmas? He said, I'm in the secret service. Y'all listen to me. There is no secret service in God's army. <laughs> the 
people don't attend church like they used to. And here's an interesting fact. There are about 600 people that call Generation Church their home church. We don't even own 600 chairs. Can you imagine if everybody showed up on a Sunday morning? We'd have parking lot church again, just like we did during COVID. The problem is that so many people come to church once a month, once a quarter, a few times a year. The level of church attendance is declining nationwide and in our own community. And look, I know, I know we're busy. I get it. I'm so busy sometimes I forget my name, okay? We are always on the go as a culture. We work more. We do more than just about any other nation or the American culture is oversaturated. Our schedules are overpacked, okay? I'm guilty of doing too much too. But sometimes I, I, I think that we're so busy we forget to do the things that matter. It's easy to fill up our schedule with things that we have to do. So that we don't have time to do the things we ought to do. <laughs> Listen, when I was growing up in church, we had two services on Sunday. We had Sunday morning. We had Sunday night. We had Bible college on Monday night. We had church on Wednesday night. We had intercessory prayer on Thursday night. Followed by music practice on Thursday night. We had youth group on Saturday. I was always at church. That was my lifestyle for years. I was programmed, okay, just about every day of the week there was something at the house of God. But when I went away to college, I got involved with a great church in Durham, but they were different from the church that I grew up in. They only had one service a week, and that was on Sunday morning. And it's amazing what had been a 20-year habit for me. Boy, it only took me about two weeks. To get used to that one service of, oh boy, this is nice right here. <laughs> Once I graduated from college and my wife and I moved to Wilson, we had to get back in the discipline of going to two services. <laughs> we would have two Sunday morning services. We'd have uh, a leaders meeting on Sunday night. We had midweek. We'd have user practice and all these other things. But here's what I noticed. The more I was involved in church, the stronger I was spiritually. The happier I was as a person. Because we think, you know, the last thing I need is more stuff on my schedule. But the more time I gave to the house of God, the more balanced my life became. I was a better husband. I was a better employee. Because something spiritual happens when the people of God gather together. Psalm 133.1 says, Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. I said all that to you to say this morning, it's easy to get out of church, but it's important that we go. One of my mentors told me one time, he said, If the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. In other words, if he can't tempt you to do wrong things, he'll tempt you to get so busy that you don't have time to do right things. That's why as a Christian, we have to make time to worship together. It's a conscious decision no matter what. I'm going to commit myself to the house of David. said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Today, I want to talk to you about unity in the local church because this is, it's important that we stay connected. God 
blesses unity. Unity commands a blessing, but unity isn't always easy, is it? Sometimes it's a struggle, y'all. That's why the title of my message this morning is I Love Church, But People Get On My Nerves. <laughs> you can laugh at that. That's not, just don't point at the person sitting next to you, and you'll be fine. I love church, but people get on my nerves. <laughs> Today I'm going to share with you three things that will help you stay connected to church, okay? I'm going to tell you about three types of people that are sitting in this room with you on any given Sunday morning. Number one, there are people who are different than you. One of the reasons why I love our church is this is a place where a lot of different people come together to worship Jesus. If we were all alike, this would be one boring church. I love the diversity of our church. It's fun, y'all. It's a blessing of God. God has blessed our church with a spirit of brotherly love and unity. Some of y'all, you grew up in racist homes. In fact, some of you used to be racist, but look what God has done in your life. This is the kind of unity that only comes by the grace of God. That's our testimony as a church. Did you know the Generation Church is a statistical anomaly? I said that word right, too. I thought I was going to George W. Bush that word for a second. Strategery. Listen, we are a statistical anomaly. Okay? In Bible college training, they, they taught us, they said, the most difficult church to lead and the church that is the least likely to grow is a diverse church. Look at us now, y'all. I don't care what the statistics say. I care about what God says. And I thank God for the work that he's doing in us. Amen? Hallelujah. Who cares what the statistics say? If God is for us, who can be against us because my heart has always been every church should be a reflection of the community that it serves. I just, I, I don't know about y'all, I just don't believe in segregation. Especially on Sundays. And that seems to be a stronghold of segregation Sunday morning. But look at God. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord, tear down every wall. I believe every church ought to be a reflection of heaven. People from every nation, every tribe, and every tongue worshiping together. Hallelujah. Well, when you come to church, there will be people who are different from you. Uh-huh. Here's, here's something that you may not know. And this is also every calling of every church. There will be people who are spiritually different from you. Do we not share the gospel every Sunday morning? Have y'all notice that? Every Sunday at the end of service, we share the gospel, give people an opportunity to accept Jesus. That means that we got sinners sitting in the church every week. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. That's an answer to prayer. We've been praying for years. God send the lost from the north, the south, the east, and the west. Okay, we're not a church that's all about sheep shifters. Come on. We're not just trying to take sheep from other churches. We want the lost. We pray to the Lord of the harvest to send us as laborers into the harvest. Because if we're just sheep shifting, we're not really making a difference. Oh, I said it. There are people every Sunday who are spiritually different from you. Because this is a church where people are welcome. And people are people. 
Anybody is welcome. When you walk up to the front door, we don't ask you to put on a suit and tie. We don't ask you, are you a Christian? Right? Come on. There is no secret Jesus handshake. Jesus. That's the only sign language word I know. Jesus. Right? <laughs> Somebody asked me what was wrong. You need Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Because that's the only word I know in sign language. It's the only word I need to know. Jesus. The answer to every question is Jesus. Hallelujah. There's no secret Jesus handshake that you have to do to get in the door. We don't make you speak in tongues before we serve you coffee. Anybody and everybody is welcome here. Amen? Amen. Why? Because we want everybody to know Jesus. We want everybody to experience the Jesus that we experience. Amen? This is not a Christian social club. This is a place of refuge for people who desperately need the Lord. And I promise you, if you come to Generation Church, I'm going to preach against sin. You're either for it or against it. I'm against it. Right? But we want everybody to come in this place and hear the truth. I hate sin. Sin damages people. I've seen sin destroy people's lives. I've seen it destroy their marriages. I've seen it destroy their bodies. I've seen it rob them of their peace of mind. I don't preach against sin to hurt you. I preach against sin to help you because God loves you. And he has a better plan for your life than how you're living. Come on. And when God looks at you... He doesn't see a sinner to condemn. He sees somebody that he loves that Jesus died on the cross to save. And he wants you to live a better way. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God destined you for the kingdom of God, but there's only one way in the kingdom. 1 Corinthians 6 says this. Do you know not the, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. What's that mean? That means a whole lot of people are deceived. And the Apostle Paul wrote this to church people. That means that there's church people who are under this deception and the lie of the devil. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. But look at this next verse. I love the honesty of verse 11. And such were some of you. That is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. None of these lifestyles are going to make it in the kingdom of God. And y'all used to be that. But look what God has done now. Because you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. Hallelujah, all of us would be lost if it wasn't for the grace of God. And there's nothing better than seeing lost people come to Jesus. That's why, uh, I'm talking to the church folks now, that's why we must never lose sight of where God brought us from. That's why I love coming, here, coming in here every week, because we're seeing God bring other people through that same process. I love it, church. That's why we don't shun lost people when they come to church. Can it be uncomfortable sometimes? Absolutely. Can it be aggravating sometimes? Yeah. But you know something, saying to God, you used to aggravate people too. You used to make un people uncomfortable. Come on. 
walking around smelling like weed and alcohol. I said it. But you know what? Somebody was praying for you. You got people coming in here smelling like weed and alcohol. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Because God's answering somebody's prayer this morning. Praise God. That's the goodness of God, church. <laughs> I love it. It's good to get uncomfortable in church sometimes. Y'all know that? Guess whose job it is to love the unlovable? If you didn't point to yourself, go ahead and do it. So, quit pointing at your neighbor. Point to yourself. <laughs> it's our job. God has put us here to give them the hope that comes from Jesus. We have the privilege and the honor of loving everybody who walks those, through those doors every week. It is a high honor. It is a high privilege for us as a church because every person who doesn't know God that the Lord sends through those doors He's trusting them to us to love them, to care for them, to minister to, do, to, to minister to them so that God can work on their hearts. Amen? Amen. I love it. Come on, y'all. Getting quiet. You're taking it, taking it hard, aren't you? Amen. Amen. Somebody comes in here smelling like alcohol. Thank God they're sitting in church and not at the bar. Amen. Hallelujah. Next time you see a homosexual couple holding hands, praise God they came to hear the gospel. Oh, oh, I made you uncomfortable. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I should have saved that for the second service. I love it when sinners come to church because they are the only people Jesus saves. Think about that. They're the only people Jesus saves. And if he saved you, he can save them. <laughs> when you come to church, there will be people who are spiritually different from you. And that's what we pray for. That's what we pray for as a church. And guess what? There will even be Christians who are spiritually different from you. Let me explain what I mean. Not everybody in church is at the same point in their relationship with God as you are. Remember that. I'm going to say it again just in case you fell asleep. Not everybody in church is at the same point in their walk with God as you are. Okay? Let me give you an example. Sitting here, we, we have somebody who's been serving God for 50 years in our church. Grounded in the word, knows the word, walking holy with the Lord because God's been working in them for 50 years. And at the same time, we have somebody who's been a Christian for five weeks. I don't expect those two to act the same. And neither should you. Because Christianity is not a one and done thing. Christianity is a lifelong process of becoming more like Jesus. That's why we have to be patient with one another. Amen? My grandfather, who was also a preacher, he described going to heaven like this. He, he described it as walking towards a city. When, when you're close to the city, 
you could see the details. You could see the buildings and you could see the windows and you could see the people and you could see the traffic. You have, you have a much clearer picture than somebody who's just starting their journey and they're looking afar off and they could just barely see the outline of the city. When somebody's just starting their walk with the Lord, they might not understand a whole lot, but one thing they do know is they've been saved and set free from the power of sin. And sometimes, just sometimes, those who've been walking with the Lord a long time forget where they came from. There will always be people in church who are more mature than you are spiritually. Lean on them for wisdom. But there will always be people who are less mature than you spiritually. Don't judge them and condemn them. Help them grow in their Christian faith. Come on, y'all. Don't be a Pharisee. Try to enforce all your laws on them. Help them grow. Love them and be patient with them along the way. Because the Bible says love never fails. I think about Denny Nisley. Y'all remember Denny Nisley? He leads Christ in action. When Denny told his testimony, he said he got saved. And when he testified how God miraculously healed his leg, he used every cuss word there is. And you know what the church did? They shouted hallelujah and rejoiced with him. Why? Because he was just born again. He didn't know nothing. He just knew that God saved him and he healed him. Now, can a preacher get up and testify like that? No. <laughs> Why? Because we're on different, different processes in drawing in spiritual maturity. Y'all got that so far? They celebrated. They didn't condemn him. Why? Because they were patient with him. That's what it means when the Bible says that we got to be patient with one another. Because not everybody is on your level. And that's okay. Be patient with them and love them and help them along. Come on, tell somebody, not everybody's on your level. The Bible says it very clearly, Colossians 3.13, make allowance for each other's faults. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Anybody ever been offended in church? I've probably offended you about five or six times already. And wait, there's more. <laughs> Forgive people who offend you. Make allowance for each other's faults. And here's the key. Remember, the Lord forgave you. So you must forgive others. My God, when we give our testimony about what God did in our lives and where he brought us from, we give everybody the PG version, but God knows the R-rated version. He knows the whole story. And while you were yet sinners, while you were living out the R-rated version, Christ died for you. God loves you in the middle of your mess. And because he loves you in that mess and brought you from there, you better love your fellow man. Above all, others, above all else, clothe yourself with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. That leads me to point number two. There will be people who disagree with you. There will be people who disagree with you. Oh, boy. God has a way of taking 
completely opposite people and bringing them together to accomplish his work. You don't believe me? Just look at your husband or wife right now. <laughs> God takes opposites and puts them together to accomplish his work. I want you to think about, that. Think about this. Jesus called a group of 12 men to be part of his ministry. We call them the 12 disciples, and one of them was a guy named Simon. Simon was a zealot. Zealots were a political party, okay? They were the radicals of their day. They were the extreme political party that wanted to overthrow the Romans. Zealots hated Romans, but the only people that zealots hated more than Romans were the Jewish tax collectors. Oh, they hated their guts because the Jewish tax collectors to the zealots, they were traitors who were taking money from the Jewish people and giving it to the Romans. Zealots hated tax collectors. And Simon had an encounter with Jesus. Jesus said, Simon, I want you to follow me. And Simon said, yes, Lord, I will follow you. And Jesus leads Simon over to the next guy who named Matthew, who's a stinking Jewish tax collector. And Jesus says, Matthew, I want you to follow me. And Simon says, time out. What? What are you doing, Jesus? Don't you know Jesus is still doing that to us? He is church. He's taking people who are politically opposites. And he's saying, I want you to work together for my kingdom. He's still calling Democrats and Republicans. <laughs> if you can believe any of them are right with the Lord. Hallelujah. God can save anybody. <laughs> I'm unaffiliated. I can make fun of all of y'all. Jesus will take Democrats and Republicans. He can take right wing, left wing. He can take anybody that he calls. And he can say, you know what, y'all? I'm greater than all of that. I'm greater than any political party. I'm greater than any government. I'm greater than any institution. Because you know what? I said it before. I'll say it again. Jesus is not coming back on Air Force One. New Jerusalem is not coming down over Washington, D.C., and with the church gone, the good old U.S. of A. is not going to have a whole lot to do with the end times, y'all. Jesus is coming back to rule it all. So why do we put politics before Jesus? Some of y'all have lost your Christian witness because you're so stinking political. I'm not saying don't be political, but don't put it before Jesus. Y'all know I, I was a political science major. I, I follow. I'd rather watch politics than the Super Bowl. I stay up all night election night. I follow all of it. Uh, political systems, interest groups, governmental systems. It fascinates me. I had a professor who, at Carolina that his job was to establish elections in Africa, and I, I could just sit there and talk to that guy for days. Political systems fascinate me. But none of that matters compared to Jesus. So be involved in politics. I believe that we need more Christians involved in government. We need more Christians in the political process. But don't bring politics into the church and mess it up. Jesus comes above everything. 
Don't get into political arguments with brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not worth it. It's, it's okay if they're wrong. <laughs> you just be right, and you let them be wrong, and you pray for them, and eventually God will correct you. <laughs> oh, man. There will be people in church who disagree with you. Jesus called the zealot, and he called the tax collector. And he pursued neither of their political agendas. Do y'all see that? He didn't pursue either of their politics. Jesus said, I, I'm more important than all this stuff. This ain't about your kingdom. It's about my kingdom. Whew. Got quiet. Amen. I heard you on the front row. <laughs> so how do we build unity? We focus on the things that unite us. Amen. And we don't get hung up on the stuff that divides us. There will always be, be people who disagree with you about something. But that's true anywhere you go. You know that. Some people just love to, Some of y'all would argue with the fence post. That's why some of y'all come to me and I'm just like, that's right, brother. That's right, sister. Praise the Lord. You have a good week now. Because I know if I argue back, I'm going to be here all day and all night. Heard about a husband and wife who argued all the time. And one day they had gotten into such a bad argument that they stopped speaking to each other. She wouldn't speak to him. He wouldn't speak to her. But the problem is that he was leaving on a very important business trip the next morning. He had to be up at 5 o'clock, and the alarm was on her side of the bed. Oh, but no, he wasn't about to say, I'm sorry. So he wrote her a note. He said, wake me up at 5 a.m. And he handed her the note. She looked at him and smiled, and she put it on the nightstand. The next morning, he woke up. At 11 a.m., oh, he was mad. He was so mad. And then he looked down, and on his belly was a sticky note, and it said, it's 5 a.m., wake up. <laughs> some people, for some people, arguing is an art form. Listen, just because people want to argue doesn't mean you have to argue back. Come on, tell somebody, don't get caught up in the drama. Proverbs 26, 4 says, don't answer a fool according to his folly, lest you also be like him. Mark Twain said it like this, never argue with a fool. Onlookers may not be able to tell the difference. I say it like this, arguing with a fool is like killing a mosquito on your face. You might accomplish a little bit, but ultimately you slapped yourself in the face. <laughs> there will always be people who disagree with you. Don't think for a minute that everybody in this church is going to agree on everything. That's not what unity is. That's socialism. That's communism. You force everybody to think the same. We will never think the same on everything. We will never think the same on most things. But unity means we come together on the one thing and the main thing, and that is Jesus is Lord. Jesus saves. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And aside from that, nothing else matters. Amen? Praise God.
I'm going to go ahead and skip down to the back since according to that clock, it is 2.08 p.m. I think it might be broken. <laughs> Number one, I don't even know what time it is, so I'm just going to break to a close. Number one, there are people who are different from you. Two, there are people who will disagree with you. And number three, there will be people who desperately need you. There will be people in church every week who need you. I told our Wednesday night crowd a few weeks ago, I was, I was having kind of a rough week. A lot of things were frustrating me. Things were not going the way they should. Y'all ever have weeks where just nothing goes right? Right? The, the, the cat eats the goldfish and the dog eats the cat and then you back over the dog leaving the drive, right? Pulling out of, church, out of the house to go to church, right? It was just one of those weeks and then you know, just having a lot of problems and having to resolve a lot of things and I was just frustrated. I, I was just, yeah, I was smiling on the outside, dying on the inside. I'm an introvert, so I just bottle all that rage up and just cram it deep, deep down inside and just, oh, and I'm just smiling at everybody. So that morning, I, I had to go to Lowe's, and, and I got, as I was walking in, there, there was an older lady trying to load these massive sheets of insulation into her truck. So I said, look, let me do that for you. I loaded it up, tied it up for her, and just went in. And I, while I was walking through Lowe's, I saw a family that doesn't go to our church, but I, I had helped them when they lost a loved one. And so I just I hugged their neck, and I talked with them and encouraged them for a while. And then uh, as I was uh, at the other end of the store, I saw somebody else doesn't go to our church, but, but a believer in Christ. And I, I talked with them and encouraged You know, for an introvert, I've got a lot of friends in the community. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> but but I, 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 I talked to them and encouraged them in the Lord. And then as I was leaving, there was an older man who was really struggling to load three-quarter inch plywood into his truck. And, you know, men don't want you to do something for them. They, they might not mind you helping them. I said, let me help you with that. And I, I helped him load up the plywood and come to find that his wife had just had a stroke and he was going to build her a ramp. So I got to talk to him and encourage him and minister to him. And by the time I got back to church, all my stress was gone. And I say all that to say I didn't need... For the worship team to sing my favorite song, I didn't need for the preacher to preach good. I didn't need anybody to come pray for me or encourage me or tell me how pretty I am because I, I looked in the mirror that morning. I know I look good. <laughs> I was struggling, and all I needed was outflow. I want you to understand this because 99% of the body of Christ misses this. I was struggling. I was not doing well. And the answer for me was I needed to minister to somebody. Sometimes when you're real discouraged, the best thing you can do is go encourage somebody. Because we are so often spiritually fat because we take it in and we take it in and we take, feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me the word. But we're not doers of the word. 
Sometimes when we grow stagnant in our walk with God, sometimes when we're struggling in our faith is because there's nothing flowing out of us. So my last point, and I don't, I don't even know what the, I can't even read these. Okay, my last point, forget the notes. My last point to you is that sometimes the answer is outflow. Sometimes what you need to do more than anything else is you need to go find a need and meet it. Because we all, we're, we're Americans. We, we've been trained to have a consumer mindset. Me, 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 my, 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 I want to be comfortable. God knows I want to be comfortable. If I get one drop of sweat, okay, I'm writing my final will and testament, y'all. I like to be comfortable. But we can't be consumers in the kingdom of God. Because in the kingdom of God, we're here to serve one another and love one another. That's why so many times if we have a night of prayer or a night of worship, I'll say, before we leave, I want you to find somebody and pray for them. Find somebody, encourage them because we have no outflow. And sometimes that's the answer. So what, what if on Sunday mornings when we get up and we get ready to come to church, what if we prayed, God, let me bless somebody today. Let me bless somebody today. Let me help somebody. You know, you guys don't even realize sometimes your worship blesses people. We had a lady who wasn't able to come to church and she was just listening online. And she told me, she said, just hearing the congregation worship God ministered to me so much. I felt like I was in the room. You never know the difference you can make in people's lives. We, when we were in Wilmington, we had a, a greeter at the door in the church. And this lady walked through the doors and a greeter smiled at her and hugged her and said, God bless you. You know, she was on her way. The, the church was right there on uh, College Road on the way to Snow's Cut Bridge. She was on the way to Snow's Cut Bridge to commit suicide. And she saw that church and something told her to go in there. And because somebody greeted her with sincere love, it saved her life and her kids. You don't know the difference you can make just by outflow, by using what you have, great or small, it doesn't matter, showing the love of God to somebody else. The Bible says two are better than one. I'm going to read the scripture I started off with. I want to read it one more time. Let it sink in your heart before we pray. It says, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Will you stand as we pray this morning? Father, we thank you that you are a good father. Lord, I thank you for this day that we've come together and gathered in your name, Lord. I thank you, Father, that as a church that we are growing, not just spiritually, but also numerically, Father, and that we're reaching the community. Lord, I thank you for every blessing that you have given us today, Father. Lord, I thank you, God, for the ability to just be here in freedom, Lord, that we're not worried about losing our life, Father, because of the government, but, God, that we can worship you with complete freedom. 
And Lord, I thank you, Father, that as Josh continues this series, Lord, that our church unites even more. God, that we become even more united, Lord, that we are one body, work together for one cause, Father, and that's to win the lost, Lord. God, I thank you, Father, that if there's anything that's out of alignment, any body part that's out of alignment, Lord, I thank you for putting it back into alignment. And if there's any criticalness, Father, Lord, if there's any um, lost sheep, Father, God, that you bring it back into alignment, Father, because our one goal is to win those that are lost, Father. And Lord, I thank you that we come together as a church and that we get that vision and that we aren't worried about who's sitting beside us and where they stand in society. But God, we're worried whether or not they're lost or they're going to heaven, Father. And Lord, let us be, let that be our heart, Father. God, give us a heart for the lost like we have never had before. God, break, break our heart for what breaks yours, Lord. God, give us eyes to see people the way that you see them, Father, to see their needs, God, and to see where they are. Lord, let our church never be judgmental over where anybody is, Lord. But let us welcome those with loving arms, Father, no matter who they are, where they are, Father, what color they are, what church they used to go to, what background they are, Father. If they just walked out of the woods, God, let us love them for where they are, Father. And for how you see them, God. And God, give us the resources to meet those needs, Lord, of every person that walks through these doors, God. Give us a loving heart, Father. Not a hard heart. Not a heart that just consumes. But God, let us be a church that is full of compassion and outflow. Where there's a need, we meet it, Father. Lord, I thank you, God, for giving us a church that is full of compassion. And that is full of love, Lord. That's full of your heart, God. That's not selfish. And it's all about us, Father. But Lord, we're about the community. We're about the lost, Father. We're about meeting the needs of other people, Father. And God, Lord, give us patience. God, give us patience with those that disagree with us. Give us patience with those that are different from us. God, I thank you for just helping us to see others the way that you see them, Lord. God, give us your heart, Lord. Break our hearts for what breaks yours, Father. Lord, we need you now more than ever before. Lord, this world, you, you know. I don't even have to say, God, you know where this world is at. And Lord, we pray, God, that this building be full of people, Father, that are coming to know you, Father that are growing in their relationship in you, Father, that are giving and outflowing, Father, not just people who are sitting on a pew and who are consuming and getting spiritually fat, but, God, that they are taking what they are learning and that they are putting it to work, Father, that every week their relationship grows in you, Father, because of the work that they're putting in, Father, that we're not just a consuming church, Father, but we're a loving church, that we welcome anyone from any walk, Father. And Lord, we thank you for that. And I bind any spirit of judgment. I bind any disunity in the name of Jesus. I bind any judgmental and any criticalness that may try to come in and any politics that may try to come in and bring division. I rebuke you right now in the name of Jesus, Satan. You have no place. You have no authority in this body of Christ. 
and we command you to flee in the name of Jesus. If you're trying to cause anything, God, I thank you that you are the leader of this church, Father. God, that we are just your shepherds, that we are just your vessels, God, and that you use us to bring forth the vision that you've placed over this church. God, use each and every one of us to be the vessels, God. Not just those that volunteer, but each and every one of us, God, used to be vessels for you. And Lord, we thank you for that, Lord. And we praise you and we give you glory and we give you honor. And Lord, I thank you, Father, for all that we have done and all that we are going to do, Father. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, I just want to praise our church for just a moment. A lot of you guys don't know, but our church is so loving. We have so many different walks that come in, and I've seen the walks come in, and what you guys do is you go and you just surround them in love. You give them something to drink. You hug people when you see that they're having a bad day. And I want you to know that the need was presented that we've been talking on Wednesday nights about some of the things that were going on with our kids and some of the kids that we've been picking up. And, you know, we've never put forth to the church that we needed people to pick them up our people saw the need and they just started picking up the kids and bringing them to church. We didn't even ask. They saw, hey, they're making five, six, and seven trips and people just said, how can I help? Put them in my car, let me take them home. They, you guys saw the need and we didn't even have to ask for it. That is the church of Christ. That is the church that God said, do my work. You saw the need and you just jumped in. We even presented that on Wednesday nights. We want to start to feed the kids. And guess what? We had, we had people donate on Wednesday night firehouse subs. And I know that that was not cheap. But you will not believe how much those kids loved it. And we, we knew in our hearts that those kids were going home not starving. They were going home full with a good meal. It wasn't junk. They were given a good quality meal. Why? Because... The need was presented and you guys said, I'll do it. You said, I'll do it because God said that we are to do, we are to meet the needs of the needy. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for being the church that Josh is preaching about. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts for allowing us to help the community the way that we do. And every person that comes in here. And with that, I want to give you the opportunity I'm going to share the gospel just like Josh said because, you know, we don't know who's coming in here. We don't know how people are living. And I want to give you the opportunity that if you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, today's your day. It's very simple. You just have to believe that he died on the cross and confess your sins and believe that he's the Lord of your life and, and you're saved, which means that you have the promise of eternity. So this morning, I want to give you that opportunity. I'm going to ask that everybody say this prayer with me. Dear Jesus. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I believe in you. Save me. Set me free. Forgive me of my sins. Be the Lord of my life. And with your help, I'm going to live for you the rest of my life. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. How many of you are so thankful?